Hello, everybody out there in podcast land. Uh, welcome to the Sense and Signal podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Daniel Tarker, and I bring a number of years of experience from higher education and administration and leadership to the table to discuss leadership and sense making. And I'm here with my co-host. Joda Jensen. <laughs> and uh, it's it's early in the morning for me on a Sunday here. Sorry, everybody. Uh, yeah. And um, I come from product development. I've been doing it for 20 years, primarily in the software space. And I'm going to bring that lens to this conversation. Great. And so today we are going to be talking about higher education and the value of higher education. And Joda, I want to start off with a question for you. And this comes from a survey that was disseminated by a nonpartisan research group called Public Agenda. Um, and the question uh, is this, and there are two responses, uh, response A or response B. And so tell me which one you most agree with. So which of the following two statements come closest to your view of college education? Answer A. A college education is a questionable investment because of high student loans and limited job opportunities. Or B, a college education is still the best investment for people who want to get ahead and succeed. So which of those two statements would you most agree with, Joda, A or B? Oh, man. Um, I got issues with the questions right now. Um, yep. There's there's language in each question that uh, that there's I would need to know I, need, I would have to have some clarity around the meaning of words in those questions. Um, I think a question like that would be hard to answer even if you had meaning. Um, uh, but for example, what is su define success? That is such a loaded term. I mean, so I'm going to assume in that language, success is mon monetary. Um, and so if we're going to stick with just straight up, that's all that success is. And we're going to make money. Um, if you had, if I had to pick one, I would lean towards a, I would, I, yeah, I would lean towards it. And I've got, um, evidence on my side to support that, at least in my field. And I'm sure it doesn't translate to all fields, but my field would say that was the a would be probably a good one. Okay, well, I think you'd be largely in agreement with the majority of people who responded to this survey, and I think there are about 1,600 people who uh, took this survey, and statistically, there's a margin of error of about plus or minus two points. Uh, but about 51% of respondents overall agreed with you uh, that a college education is a questionable investment because of high student loan debt and limited job opportunities. Breaking it down by partisanship, uh, Democrats agreed with that statement. 40% of Democrats agreed with that statement, which I thought was kind of high. I thought that, that among Democrats, that would have been a lower level of agreement. Republicans uh, agreed to that statement 59%. And again, that I found surprising, too. I, th I thought that would have been higher, like in the 70s or so. but. Yeah. Uh, it's only about 59%. And independents, 52% of ind independents found, agreed with that statement, uh, the A statement. Um, and then even more fascinating among young adults. So young adults, 18 to 34, without degrees, 70% 
agreed with that statement or agreed with the A statement. And then young adults 18 to 34 with college degrees, 49, almost 50% of people 18 to 34 with college degrees surveyed in the sample agreed with that statement, which to me speaks volumes because those are the folks who got the degree, went out into the workforce and still agree with that statement. And so um, we're going to be talking about um, higher education here and the value of higher education. And first, we're kind of setting up the frame and context right now. And then we're, we're going to talk about the importance of higher education to society, uh, the individual, and then uh, the importance of higher education to the people who actually work at these organizations and how do we communicate the why to staff and the why to potential students and the why to our government entities? Why is it uh, valuable? And this kind of goes back to our previous podca- podcast, uh, which focused on the viral video uh, from Simon uh, Sinek, who talks about the golden circle, in which there are three layers of questions or three layers that we need to think about as organizational leaders, the what at the outermost layer of the circle, like what do we do, the how in the next layer of the circle, like how do you do what you do, and then at the core of the circle, the why. And he argues, uh, you know, very quickly, he argues that most organizational leaders forget about asking uh, the why question and they focus too much on the what and the how and that we need to focus on the why. So as a thought experiment, we're going to tackle the question of higher education through this lens and why is it important or why is it not important maybe um, in terms of uh, trying to dig to that core question of why for both the people who work within these organizations, the students that we serve, and overall society that uh, higher education serves. So what are your thoughts on that as we begin this conversation, Joda? Um, yeah, uh, I think that, I think that in, I think we get, I think as a society, we're going to have to start asking some deeper questions around what an education means to um, um, people um, or citizens. Uh, I don't, I think that the conversations that are had are, are, are all good. Um, but I do think that they don't get into fundamentally the why of, of higher education and education, um, writ large. Um, you could probably go out and do a survey and ask people what, what does education do for you? What's the point of education and get a bunch of different answers. And you and I have talked about this many times. Um, and you and I always lean towards, and, and this isn't about us, but I mean, you and I oftentimes lean towards, um, that it's a, it's a humanistic edification experience, or at least it was for you and I in certain areas. Um, but there's also a very huge, uh, monetary, uh, aspect to education. I think most people frame it in that, in that area, um, which has led to a lot of policy decisions around, um, um, education again, the and the entire spectrum of education that money uh, making money um, uh, is important. So I think yes, I think I think asking the why needs to be needs to be brought up more around education and 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 in a weird way, what happens is you end up pointing fingers at society, right? You end up having you actually critiquing society, so they're they're intricately related, integrated. Um, and oftentimes, unfortunately for people, probably because they don't want to admit this or 
it's it's disconcerting, often political too. So it's problematic in those areas as well. Um, but yeah. Oh, and what was it that 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 video uh, that you shared with me by uh, that interview of Anya? What is her name? Anya uh, Kamenets, who I guess now is a uh, an education reporter for NPR. Uh, uh, she, you know, uh, she said herself that, you know, there's very little research on, on the on efficacy of universities and education. She, you know, she's, she made the statement that it, that they don't want to point that lens back at themselves. They'll do research on the healthcare industry. They'll do research on aerospace industry. But there is, she said, it is, there is not a lot of research in this, in this, in, in the way that you think. Um, around the effects and efficacy of universities and how it affects um, society in total. So, yeah, why? Yeah, I think the the question of why is also uh, important on a societal level. And to respond to a couple of your points, I think higher education is always a reflection of, of, has always been, at least in the Western tradition, a reflection of the society in which it emerges, right, as an institution, um, and I think you can see that all the way back to um, the beginning of higher education in the United States, at least, which modeled itself off of Europe and specifically Germany. And you had these very elite schools that were actually very small, like Harvard and what we now consider the big Ivy League schools, Harvard, Princeton, Yale, all those types of um, schools that now have become the the symbol of, uh, you know, the the peak of higher education that we want to reach, right? These elite institutions, and there's almost this mythology about them. Um, but they're, you know, they're cl- grounded in a very classist system uh, early on, especially in the colonial era, and uh, were a, fl- a reflection of, of, of the times in which they were founded. And I think higher education has evolved and changed as our society has changed. And I think that's been most reflective in the 20th century, especially the latter half of the 20th century, where you have this proliferation of higher education institutions, which you could connect to the expanding middle class and how its role um, as an institution has impacted the middle class in terms of being perceived as a gateway to uh, a middle class life where you have some economic um, uh, liberty, and I think this does get to the question of liberty too. I think there's a, t- a connection between the economics of higher education and the idea of liter- liberty in our society and freedom, because ultimately in a capitalist system, you can't. I mean, money is power, and money is a key to liberty, to being able to do what you want to do with your life. Um, and not have have certain worries. So um, so yeah. So I think there was this expansion of higher education in the in the 20th century with land grant institutions, the GI Bill, the expansion of community colleges uh, as place uh, you know to increase access points to uh, higher education. So more people would get degrees, be able to get better jobs, have more economic power and liberty, and the question, I guess, now we're at a point where the environment's changed again with, you know, that disruptive force called the dot-com industry and the technology industry 
uh, changing the environment. So I think, Joda, people are reassessing the value of higher education, especially in light of uh, the disruption in the dot-com industry. I think that's probably a factor driving it and just a lot of other environmental changes that have happened uh, with our society. Um, and so, yeah, so I think yep, the cost versus return is clearly being reconsidered by potential higher you know, college students. Yeah, no, agreed. And 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 as much as this, we're framing this conversation around like we're we're, we're you know the, the ultimate value of education, and I think kind of leaning towards higher education, um, I think we can say that this really is sparked because of what's happening to you, right, in your education mm-hmm. environment, where you are noticing declines in enrollment um, that have been in certain certain certain. Types of people are 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 or groups are are great are are more greatly impacted by this 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 lack of enrollment, and um, the question that is posed is why and what's happening, and it's not just that you're seeing it anecdotally, and I would dare say anecdotally because you're seeing it in aggregate in your school, which are significant numbers, but anecdotally per school level, and that but the the research shows that uh since since this whole pandemic um and before then i think as well the research shows that we're enrollment is declining and and you're asking with amongst your colleagues it sounds to me as we've talked that why why what, what's going on and and i am i wrong in saying that from your vantage point sometimes they the conversations are focusing on what 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 would I say? Not exactly the necessarily the the root causes of what's happening. Well, I think you know it's the whole question. Simon's uh, cynics point about this why question is very interesting because I think you can have shallow whys and I think you can have deeper whys. Oh yeah, and I think getting Dan, to the you deeper, can have five whys. You can go five whys. Well, that's the Toyota guy, right? The guy who founded Toyota. There's only five um, whys. I'm just saying, you can go one, two, three. You go to, if there, there's no such thing as a sixth why. You have to. Uh, wow. Well, I would say, you know, and I, yeah, well, five whys, ten whys. I mean, however many whys it takes to get to the core of the problem, and that's why I think going back to the idea of liberty and economics, I think that's that's probably drilling down to the deeper why to some level. But I think getting to the why takes time and space. And that we don't really have it in higher. I feel like most of the time in higher ed, at least I work in the community college sector. We're a four-year institution now, but we're still fundamentally, historically, a community college. Um, and so I feel like most of the time we're running around trying to put out fires and everyone's exhausted after the pandemic. Uh, so nobody has time to really dig into the deeper questions of why as a community. Um, so there's that, the time to ask the why. And I think it's, you know, one thing about the community college data that I think is very fascinating to me is the irony of it at this point. Because of all the different sectors of higher education, it seems like community colleges are experiencing the greatest decline in enrollment. And they are, you know, getting back to the whole class thing with higher education. You know, community college colleges primarily serve first generation uh, minoritized students who 
um, you know, come from a variety of different, a diverse uh, array of backgrounds and so are sometimes uh, coming from the most marginalized communities. And so we're seeing that decline, you know, the, that sector, you know, the community college student body declined significantly at the same time when surveys are done around state support for higher education, it seems like the majority of the public are most excited or most uh, animated around supporting community colleges as opposed to research institutions. So I'd say that's kind of ironic in the data that uh, community colleges seem to have a very strong public support because of the populations they serve and the and the and the way they do that, and that their the cost versus return is perceived as. Uh, a good a b- good bargain you know it's low tuition for the most part compared to universities with a higher potential payoff you know as far as uh what it's going to do for you economically so but at the same time we're seeing declining enrollments and i think that you know of course there's a lot of different factors probably contributing to that yeah and um that blog, um, was it Brian? I think his name is uh, Brian Alexander. Brian Alexander, B-R-Y-A-N Alexander. He's that education futurist guy. I don't know much about him. So, but I mean, it looks like he's done some work on the these numbers as well recently. They're pretty up to date. The past since this last January, and he highlights some uh, a short list of of of, of uh, purported causes right of this situation. And this is what he has here. Um, and he he qualifies these as being the issues of dec- decline in enrollment since 2013 to 2019 for the most part. Oh yeah, and, and I think this is t- highly tied to the Great Recession too, and that's a factor that doesn't get equated to that. Yeah, and it's, it's, not, it's an ongoing t- trend. Yeah, and I think he he kind of talks about that here, or at least I think that's one thing he says. Uh, there is the well, the first one is anxiety over student debt, and and, and a recession would be would be uh, a contributory for that concern, right? Uh, demographic. Well, yeah, and if you let me talk one point about that because I think it's really important and key to the conversation is that during the Great Recession, when um, state legislatures. Uh, needed to cut costs, they cut in higher education and community colleges and four-year institutions. Once the recession was over, they never restored any of that money. And so you already had a crippled sector going into this economic boom time um, where now they've had their budgets already slashed by the state and now they're seeing the revenues decline because of enrollment declines. Yeah. Yeah, and we can touch base on that more. And then there's the demographic transition producing fewer younger people. That's another mm-hmm. thing. Uh, decline in immigration. So obviously we've been servicing a lot of foreign students, and that's reducing. Uh, rising political and cultural hostility to academia. I think um, that's apparent in today's political climate at times. Uh, men avoiding education. This is something kind of you've you've sparked up, Dan. You've noticed in your numbers that men are – are, are choosing not to go and there's reasons to that probably and there's things that we don't understand um and the collapse of many for-profit institutions um which i think you've also brought up to me and then the appeal of jobs which don't require post-secondary credentials which leads to that kind of oh, how we started this conversation off that question you asked a that you know that, that's one of the answers to a and so mm-hmm. i think the key what i'm trying to drive here is that yes this is this 
I think it's a known that's a complex problem, but it's not always just necessarily driven by people's perceptions. It's driven by policy. It's driven by socio and both socio and economic behaviors. The fact that people are having less kids that can affect the outcomes of schools as we move forward. That's you have fewer people in the world. You're going to have fewer people going to school. So all this stuff can kind of get in the works and muddy the conversation, which you know, Dan, I think, like you said, this is a classic complex problem. So, um, yeah. Yeah, there's there's a lot of different variables. They're interconnected. Uh, it is that shimmering landscape of complexity, uh, for sure. And, uh, you know, and the, the uh, decline in population is really important to think about, too, um, because getting back to the Great Recession, there was this baby bust right? People stopped having babies during the Great Recession for economic reasons. Uh, and so we haven't, those, that, that generation of students is not college age yet. So we're, we're going to be seeing another drop in the college go, the traditional college going age population uh, soon as well. Are you having yeah, discussions uh, around that at school? I mean, you got, are you guys talking about that? Is that? Not at my level. Um, and I do think it is, you know, I feel like we're going through a period of re- retrenchment in higher education where, you know, I think we're going to have to have some really existential questions, you know, again, getting back to the why do we exist? Why, why, what purpose are we serving in society? What purpose are we serving to the individual? What purpose are we serving to ourselves? You know, why are we here as as faculty and staff and administrators? Um, and so, cause I think I, 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 my gut tells me higher ed is going to have to reimagine itself for the 21st and 22nd centuries. Right. Um, and we still, we're still kind of grounded in a 20th, 19th century. Maybe some people would argue even 17th century way of doing things. Um, yeah. And it's interesting because you just made a comment. I mean, a lot of people think of community colleges as two-year colleges and, and I think, the notion of what higher education even is, is, is we're locked in the structures that we've created um, through, I, I don't think necessarily, necessarily direct planning. Although I think, you know, again, that video, which we'll probably link here at some place. Um, what was her name? Uh, a fantastic video uh, by Anya Kamenet, um, uh, interview through Vice, a magazine a podcast. Um she, you know, she she does seem to suggest that there was some st- strategy around certain things, but I think there were emergent um, phenomena that occurred that were not planned or controlled, and so I think that because of this this um, this sort of organic growth of what our institutions are today, um, that we just sort of as- assume a structure that was uh, that was. Uh, planned or, or really well thought out and, and not necessarily completely. And these are relatively new. They're not, these haven't been around for time immemorial, right? This is not biblical in, in, in nature. This is, this is like recent structures, as you mentioned earlier in the conversation. And so it's hard for us to break our mental models of what education could be outside of this. Like you just mentioned, um, your school, uh, community, um, you, you, you put a caveat. We're actually a four-year school now. That 
breaks a mental model. There, community colleges are always two-year schools. And then you ask yourself, well, why can't it be a six-year school or, or a 10-year school? Or why even have years added to schools? Why even even frame it as such? You know, And then you, just, you can really start to rethink what schools are if you are able to just sort of break the notion of what we have now. And I think it begs the question, what is the notion that we have now? What is it serving? Because it's probably serving something, right? Probably some sort of power structure. I'm not sure what that is exactly. I'm sure we can delve into it at some point in time if we want to. But yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, when I was thinking about this conversation earlier today, uh, one thing, you know, from a complexity point of view is I think there's a lot of diversity in higher education. It might even be better to focus on each each sector individually, right? Because I think the community college sector is much different than the the higher end research I hate to put it in a hierarchy like that, then the research institutions, right? The big, uh, those big research colleges um, and universities, you know, because a community college has a very different focus. Uh, it's more focused on teaching and uh, serving um, underserved populations. Uh, there's a, probably a stronger social justice mission, I'd imagine, um, in the community college sector than, than at an elite institution, you know, um, that's focused more on research and, and maybe even does have faculty in its ranks who do perceive themselves as gatekeepers, uh, that they want to make sure that only the best and brightest are coming through their corridors and their gateways to, um, you know, continue research or go into the medical fields or um, the the scientific fields. You know, so so, so I think that how in, in, in one of the things that we do in in product development um, approaches is you know you can be kind of self serving when you frame the conversation of the value you're, you're giving the people with a product you're producing. Right? It can create. Um, uh, biases around a product, specific product. Like, so you go into the situation, go, um, I have this special knife and you ask why, you know, how can this knife make people's lives better? And the idea is that you've already introduced bias saying you're not going to try to, maybe if people don't even need knives because you might find out that they're actually hammering, hammering stuff. So you're going to start trying to figure out, Oh, how do we make this knife a better hammer? And so you're going to make this very sharp edged, uh, thick blade that's going to be used as a hammer when really all you should do is create a better hammer. Right. And so you ask, so the question is, is what value, what are people needing? What are the needs of the people? And we like to frame things oftentimes in like the jobs that people need to get done. And, and that can be kind of narrowing as well, because perhaps work should be more than just jobs that need to get done. But you also identify things as pains and, and the gains that people have at work. How can you, what pains do they have in the world they have? So I would, I would suggest that when we when talking around this education space, that instead of framing it in the structures that we have already, although we can definitely lend some of the language, because that's what we, those are the parts and the pieces that we have. But again, the question is, is like, instead of saying, hey, Silicon or silicon. instead of saying uh, 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 to your colleges, uh, 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 it provides a different value than a, uh, than a, than a four year college or a, a master's program. 
which it does. It does that, you know, but that's, is it implicit or explicit? Is that, you know, and I'm sure there's a little bit of both. The question is what value are people gaining from that? And then reframe the question is how can we improve the value of these people who want to be educated? Because it might mean dismantling the whole structure, right? It might mean why even have a two-year college? Why have a four-year college, right? Maybe it means having something more integrated. I mean, um, uh, 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 Anya, she makes a comment about, this integration where even in a two-year college, you still have, because you lack some of that, 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 that communal aspect that you get from the higher education is that these higher educations open their doors to, I think that's what she was mentioning or something like that to all education levels so that everybody can have that communal sisterhood, brotherhood relationship um, where the bonds can occur, right? Because the commuter schools, you don't get some of that. And, and that some would argue that there's value into that, but I'm going into specifics here, but the, I, I'm thinking, you know, instead of like framing it around the parts we have, maybe what we ought to start doing is looking at what, do people need today to be better human beings, to be happier human beings and provide to a society? And, I, and again, I think you and I have discussed this and one last thought as I droll on forever, uh, is that I think the question goes back to what kind of society do we want to be living in? I do think. It well, I, yeah. And I, I agree with you there. And I think it kind of, for me, it goes back to Liberty you know, we're, again, we're getting into that deeper why question. You know, why are student? Why should students come to? And for the, I'm willing to frame this just around community colleges for now, um, because I think that will help narrow our focus on this discussion. So, why should uh, students come to a community college? And I think the qu- deeper questions around liberty, which is tied to economics, is really important. And then, what uh, what social function does a community college serve you know to the society at large um and i think you know again i have a bias right because i work in a community college and i see the students that we serve and the staff and faculty that serve those students and um you know are part of conversations around what we hope the impact is and sometimes we see the examples of the impact when someone does transition from their their community college studies to uh, a job in the industry that they want to go into um, or transfers to a university and, you know, whatever their goals are. So I, I do think getting to the, um, that core, that core question about what is the value is important. And I think, again, I think I have to come back to, you said the, use the word happiness. And so I think there's, what is happiness really and what is the difference between happiness and having a meaningful life which one is and are they tied together right because again within our system to have a meaningful life and which i think meaning having a meaningful life is you need to have a meaningful life in order to have a happy life or what we might define as a happy life right um, and in order to have a truly meaningful life, you need to have economic uh, liberty, right? You, if you're working five jobs and making barely enough to scrape by, you don't have enough time to really construct meaning around your life or pursue things that will give you happiness. Um, and so... And so your your life, you know, 
yeah, so you're going to have a limited uh, limited opportunities in your life to pursue happiness and meaning. And so by going to, say, a community college where there's a low cost, low point of entry, right, low low barrier to entry because, you, you know, uh, there's still open access institutions so anybody can go, um, that you, you go there you can get a degree or a certificate or stacked certificates where you get a series of certificates that add up to something. And that's kind of a new innovative kind of badging kind of approach to, to education that needs to be explored more, but you do these things. And then, it, you know, the ideal is that it will open up opportunities for employment that will make you more money than you would have had without that two year degree or certificate. And then you, um, you have more money and then you have more opportunity to pursue the things in, that make life worth living, right? Um, beyond the workplace. Because ideally you want your workplace to be a, a place that you want to work in too. And that's because we spend so much time there, but that's a whole nother conversation. You're muted. Thank you, sir. I, the, I mean, just, you, w- the, the language that you've used, you know, and the things you said, I bring up a lot of concepts or questions around, you know, the, the value of, of, of an education to a person, you know, um, and what is it values? And, and you know, I, I watched Dan Crenshaw in an interview, uh, who is a, for those who don't know, I, I think he's a Republican. War veteran, right? War veteran. I think he's a congressman. He's the guy with the patch, right? At the patch, yeah. And he was being interviewed, and they were. T- he was talking about education. He, you know, he's 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 you know he was really poo pooing over, you know, uh, from what I remember, uh, humanities educations and things like that. He was really strong on you know, there's uh, colleges should be accountable for basically uh, being able to put people in the workforce and make having them make money. And I. That's a complex problem right there because one can argue that um, today just it's society has decided that STEM is the most important thing because it really fills a niche that we're that we lean towards, which is like what software development or computer programming or this new world that we have of, of heavy reliance in the digital universe. And it, and it, it matter and the engineer. Let me actually phrase that the, this heavy reliance on engineering. In certain areas, and I, I think I don't have the numbers. I would assume software is probably it leans towards software, but that might be wrong. Um, it's a lower barrier entry than being a rocket scientist, I would say. So maybe it's probably true. Um, but I would disagree with his his assessment uh, personally. And well, hmm, sh- should people disagree with his assessment? I mean, it, he makes a he makes a, he makes a statement that he and he states it in almost a factual way because in a world that we live in today, it is kind of factual that 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 that's the way it should be. But could we not put a premium instead on of engineering, but on history? I mean, wh- why not, right? Could we not put a premium on so, so, uh, social studies or put a premium on the arts, right? Does that mean that more people might succumb to diseases that they wouldn't normally do because we don't have as many doctors? Possibly. But, you know, joking but serious aside, you know, it's not the number it's not the number of breaths you take, but the number of moments that take your breath away, right? Uh, one can argue. So the quality of life question. And so uh, it's about value, uh, what we want as a society. And so and then education feeds into that value. So in a weird way, the value that education should give you should be feeding into what the value is as a society that we decided we want from our people, from our, from us, 
And right now what we're saying is that you are potentially just a mechanical cog in a machine producing profits for, for companies. Is that what we want education to be? Is we even want it to lean on that? In this world, we have to do that, right? Because that's what's structured. If you don't do that, then we've seen the homeless problem out there. People who are just kind of, you know, not participating in the world as we know. It's a big issue right now. So, and, and, and fueled by a lot of different factors. Yeah, I'm just saying it's a huge, yeah. No, I don't know what else, yeah. That, I don't want to touch that. <laughs> not yet, at least. But That's no. a whole different conversation, yeah. Yeah, but my point being is that we are seeing this whole other society that's not contributing now you know, in a world that, that's being, that's set, the tone that's set. And um, so the question is, is like, I, I really, again, go back and lean. So the value of, of, of what school is and what a person's takeaway is from school really should match to the question of what we want our society to be. And I think we've made our decision. And that is that you are part of a machine and that you do just, you know, pick, pick the right path of the direction that the economy wants to go, get a job in that and go and do your job. And because that's, that was the point to drive this mechanism, this machine. And I don't feel like there's any question around human edification, being a person, being part of a society, caring about history. I, I would argue it's becoming almost looked down upon at times, you know, because of all of this misinformation and disinformation the way we. But, okay, so I, I got a couple a couple responses, right? So I think the uh, ascendance of STEM uh, as the primary driver of higher education or primary focus of higher education it has we can trace that back to world war ii because and that really comes out of the atomic bomb and and uh the department of defense realizing oh we can pay all these all these scientists you know who are studying quantum physics and physics in these institutions can actually help us with defense you know, they built this bomb. We dropped it on Nagasaki and Hiroshima. So it was driven by military war. military needs, basically. Yeah, yeah, and so and so you started seeing this big investment in STEM. You know, post World War II as well, and that started to also reshape the research institutions in higher education. And you know, uh, you can look at uh, speeches done by the chairs of the departments of. Well, the National Endowment for the Humanities and Arts, as far back as the 60s, where they're trying to have the conversation that we're having now, right? Like, what is the value of the humanities in our society that the arts and the humanities and, you know, help tie us together to help bond us together in the culture, you know, culturally and, and create a united nation, united community around um, cultural artifacts and, and ideas and stories. So there's that. And so it's been, an, I would argue, it's been such an ongoing trend. I mean, I, I've been watching lately, oddly enough, uh, I've been watching some old episodes of uh, All in the Family, which is an interesting show for those kids out there listening. All in the Family was a show in the 1970s that had a character by the name of Archie Bunker, who was this kind of old bigoted guy. And he, he was living with his wife and uh, son-in-law and daughter. And his son-in-law and daughter son-in-law were kind of like the- Son-in-law is Rob Reiner. Rob Reiner played the son-in-law. And um, he's Rob Reiner, for those of you who know, is a famous director now. Um, at the, and at the time, Rob Reiner and his 
the wife character or the Archie Bunker's daughter's character, they served as the Archie's foil, right? They were the voice of liberalism and progressivism. And Archie was kind of, you know, what we might characterize as a Trump voter today, right? In a stereotypical way that he's kind of the, the low educated working class blue collar kind of guy who has a lot of uh, mythical ideas in his head that are largely bigoted. Uh, and um, the character of Mike, um, who's a son-in-law, serves as his foil in that he's always challenging Archie's ideas. And in that show, right, and it was started in the, they started developing in the late 60s and filming it and presenting it in the early 70s, that, that, that uh, tension between working class perceptions of higher education and the college perspective or the college educated perspective was there as far back as that right you know um and these crazy ideas that you're learning in these institutions are damaging our society and what do you know you're just uh taking all these classes and i'm i'm subsidizing you because you're living in my house and eating my food right um so i guess i'm I'm bringing up that point in that i think this tension between what we might characterizes working class values or non-college uh, educated values and then the values that people do develop when they're uh, engaging in higher education it has been uh, it's been there it's been it's been percolating in our culture and our society for a long time and I think even looking back back at youtube videos if we did a search and i know you and i have done a number of searches about the value of higher education just on the internet and youtube this conversation has been going back 10 20 years so i think the data we're seeing now i think it's been going back thousands of years actually i think well probably but with socrates has even discussed these topics so yeah, 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 yeah. But I mean, I think as far as like the funding and the value and the t- the ideological tension around the value of higher education, it's not it's nothing new under the sun. But we're finally it feels like for whatever reason we're seeing the impacts of it now in in terms of enrollment and um, debates about its value and you know which does have tangible results. You know, you see, we're seeing more and more colleges close or combined than ever before. Those are, that's people's jobs. That's industry. And sometimes a college or a university is the prime driver for a small community's economy. So it has wider impacts than just, um, you might see on the surface. So I'm going to ask you this question. Do you think that, and do you do you think that colleges should have some sort of um, success, success metric, like we that it was stated, like the idea that perhaps someone shouldn't have to pay for their education if they end up not getting a job through the courses that they took. Where, where's your where's your thinking on that area? That's a hard one. I you know because the, the higher ed and success metrics have the we've been wrestling with that for a long time. Wait, wait, um, let me, let, hold on. Let me, let's, let's, I'm not talking about the, the, I, I want to set aside the, the, the ability to take those metrics to like do it, to be able to make those metrics accountable realistically. Let's just say you could, you could say a tribute. They, we gave them an education and they could not get a job based upon our education. Let's just say you well, could do all that. Right. 
Unfortunately, no, I don't think you can. So, like, I'm gonna pull. I'm gonna pick on some programs that I love dearly. Uh, but let's say let's pick on theater, right? I have a theater degree. It's one of my many degrees. I have a terminal degree in actually creative writing and theater. I have an MFA. I also have a doctorate uh, in another <laughs> field. Ringing his bell. Ringing his bell. Right, I know. Yeah. Um, but let's let's take a look at those theater and creative writing degrees and English degrees. Am I working in theater? I've worked in theater, but I certainly haven't made my living in theater. I've got so a great to, amount of. Should you have had to pay for it then? Well, who's going to pay for it? I I just ask you. Should you have had to have paid? For I it? I'm still paying for it. Let me let me let me put it let me put it this way: <laughs> If I buy a television and it doesn't work, and I give it back to the company, the company's question is not who's going to pay for that television, right? They do. They have to eat the cost because they gave me a television that didn't work, right? Again, I'm not arguing this. I I just think I think why is why is education um, uh, why do they get away with not having to answer that question? And again, I actually don't necessarily, I think I agree with this sentiment. I'm just, you know, posing the question. No, I think it's a very good question though. I think it's a question that actually should be asked and we should have an answer for why not. I mean, I think, I think, uh, at that level, a degree and a certain, certain, especially the arts, let's take the arts because they're very competitive. Only a certain percentage of people really, if you go into the arts, are going to make their living at doing it. Most of them are going to find an alternative employment. They're going to go into real estate or they're going to take a coding certificate and become a coder or, or something like that. They're not going to end up working in the arts. Um, and that's why if you are out there and you're an arts major, don't go to the most expensive art school, <laughs> especially if you have to take out loans. Go go, go the community college route or some other route to get that arts training. Um, I, you know, I, I don't know how much power, you know, I think you could say the same thing, but with coding too, right? Like, so like, so theater, we know. That if you get a theater degree, the odds are you're not going to make your living doing theater. You're going to subsidize it with other jobs. Now, with coding, for instance, like uh, we have a lot of new um, uh, computer science programs coming out. Getting a a computer science degree does not automatically mean that you're going to get a job in the dot-com field, right? You could graduate for whatever reason during a recession when um, there's just not a lot of jobs. And that's not your fault. That's not the college's fault. That's just larger systems at play. And so should the college be accountable because you graduated and weren't able to immediately find a job? I I don't know, you know? I, honestly, um, I, I don't think so. But, but I don't think so because it would be a no-win situation. It's something that you can't necessarily... There's too many factors in... And in, in why you didn't get a return on your investment. It could be on the person, right? I know people who, who graduate from coding school and aren't in coding, aren't doing coding because they ended up not liking coding. They did it for, you know, maybe they even got a job for three months. It was, I don't like this. This is not me. You know, are you going to, you know what, go, hey, buyer's remorse. Hey, school, I took this course. Don't like it. I want my money back. I mean, you can, again, you can do it with television, Amazon, you know, TV didn't work for me. Oh, yeah, here's your money back. Um, but there's there's far fewer variables that that are are contributing to that reason. Where with education, <clears throat> again, it goes back to what is it that society puts value? What does society put value in? Where does it put its money? People complain about people like LeBron James making a hundred billion trillion dollars, whatever they're making. 
and I'm not going to even argue that, that he should get paid that much or shouldn't get paid that much. Um, and I, you know, me, I think that there's a, vul- there's a vulgarness of all, all this riches up there where there's all these people down below who could use that money in ways um, uh, to get them out of their issue, out of their holes, a different story. Uh, but my point being is that uh, that's where the money's going. They can pay, pay LeBron James that much because that people have voted with their dollars that they want to watch that basketball game. And that's, that it's kind of a dollar as a vote there. So that means we put a certain amount of value on, on, on that game or on those games. And so there's many ways we vote for what we think is valuable. We vote for the value by showing our being present to something. Um, and so it goes back to the question as a society, what do we want as valuable? What do we think? There's no necessary reason why coding is the most important thing. I mean, other than that, we've put value on the sciences. We put value on going to the moon. We've put value on, uh, on keeping people alive as long as possible. Um, and I, I hope to say as healthy as possible, but I don't even necessarily know if that's true, but that we and that doesn't have to be that way, you know. I'm not, I'm not saying it, it no. shouldn't. We could we could put value on, you know, what people should be know about the past. That's premium, you know, and just create um, education centers and uh, history history businesses where people go and buy history and 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 it doesn't just it's not just emergent, you know. It's 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 directed, and so I think people should well, realize. I, I agree with you, and I think that's that has been a part of the ongoing debate around the value of higher education for a long time, right? Ideally, you know, I think a university degree, especially, uh, and a community college degree too. Um, the idea has always been that you're helping democratize society by creating more more well rounded human beings that do have a sense of history, have a sense of. Uh, the humanities, as well as the sciences, but that's an elitist arts. thing in today's world, though, right? I mean, that's elitism, in the, and I mean that literally. I'm saying that in the sense that you get a history degree, but that really is the realm for people who don't need money, right? Because unless you're, if you get a history degree, your, your avenues. I don't know. Success. I mean, your what about transferable skills. But trans. So I, the other piece of this, right? Though that's why I think it's incumbent for us to think about transferable skills, because most people in our complex world today are not going to stick with one profession their entire lives, right? They're gonna they're gonna jump from job to job to field to field. Yes, um, but my point my point was before you finish that, my point was it isn't. Yes, of course, because you went to school, you got soft skills through that process. You learn to write, you learn to critically think, you learn, yes, and those are all transferable. Absolutely. I'm not saying that. My point being- We hope. Right. My point being, as I was just leaning on my earlier argument, that history itself would be arguably, and I don't know, I like to know the metrics, like how many people go into history and then leverage that history degree, right? I'd be curious about that because I'm suggesting that it's very it's it's far fewer than in the software industry or in the doctor industry or things like that right where you'll there's a continual market for that where with history you've got very few avenues you can be an author which is probably pretty hard to become a successful one at that and then you're going or you're going to be a teacher and then or you're then there's other i don't know what the other is right and so Maybe my, research my, i'm just saying like what if you know there are these classes yes we 
we as a society go, oh, there's value in people knowing about history. There's value. But we really don't put our money where, where we don't put our money where, where our values are in that in that picture. So, yes, you get your history degree. And yes, you might end up becoming CEO for some uh, uh, um, pharmaceutical company. Absolutely. It's possible. But my point is like, but you didn't become a history degree because there were no jobs for history. <laughs> and, you know, that's my point, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, coming from a humanities and arts background, I would say like, you know, at least in, in the arts and humanities, I would probably even say the social science fields, like your bachelor's is just a bachelor's. It's just a signal uh, that you are were able to complete that four-year degree and graduate. And should it um, be that way? I don't know. I don't know. I but that's what it is. I mean, you're not necessarily going to get a job with that bachelor's degree in because the of the bachelor's degree. You mean, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it, it in itself is not, and one could say that about any degree. The degree in itself is not going to get you the job, right? It's usually going to be work experience. Um, I don't coupled know. with the degree. Yeah, I mean, I've I've had firsthand experiences that like masters and PhDs, um. Make them a little bit of leverage. They give them leverage. There's a leverage there of that credential um, that there's a value in the perception. Like I had a boss once say that he does um, pay uh, PhDs more for the exact same job than non-PhDs, right? And and yeah, I'm not going to say leverage. Yeah. So but if you don't have the work experience to get through the door, you're not the, 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 the degree in and of itself is not going to do much for you. Yeah, I, I think what my argument is, I'm kind of, I'm kind of agreeing with you, but I'm, then I'm also saying, is that right? Is that, is that point? Because is that, is that good? Because one of the statistics was that fewer people are getting their four year degree, but more people are actually getting their master's degree statistically, you know, uh, and masters, and that's suggesting that the mat, the, the four year degree is is being perceived as not that valuable. And that it really, if you're going to go for an education, you got to at least go for the masters. So then that I agree with that. Then you have to then go commit yourself for seven or eight years for just the masters, and mm-hmm. and then maybe even more for the PhD if that's where you're going to go. And then it becomes a cost uh, benefit analysis, not just in dollars but in time. You could be a young adult raising a family, also having to make money while you're raising a family. Go to school. Not everybody has you know family that can support them or be lucky enough to live at home or whatever the situation is. Um, so I think the question goes back: Should should bachelors be so useless on some level? Maybe it shouldn't be. And, that, and again, I go leans back to that question A. And maybe we can circle back to that. You know, um, I'm not saying it should be. I, th- I think college should be very valuable. I think college should be integral. It should be kind of like a um, rites of passage. I really do. I think college should be a rite of passage like the military or we have today and certain uh, uh, groups in this country. I think it, it, I think people should go through that process and it should be slightly formalized and it should uh, uh, map to the values of what we think of a, of a society should 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 be to some degree. Um, I think so. But Machiavellian perspective in the world we're in, your question, A, I find more valuable because – I can go pay $18,000 to a coding camp and walk out and make $120,000 a year in six months, more very likely. Or I can spend nine years getting a PhD, going broke, going into debt. And maybe that PhD was in 
Now, short of being a heart surgeon, uh, you know, but um, education, right? I don't know. And and making less than that, perhaps, you know, so oh, yeah. there is a there is a serious cost to benefit ratio that makes a I think in today's world. If you're basing it on money and like you said, we see money as a road to victory for happiness, to liberty, which, to which, liberty, which I'm not a supporter of. I'm not a big fan of that, but that's the world we live in, per se. So, no, it's a very capitalist ideal, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. idea. Yeah, yeah. But, so, I mean, I think we live in a. I mean, I'm not going to get into the Marxist capitalist no, 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 debate no, no, right here, no. but I, we live in a capitalist society, and if you're going to play the game, you know. And, I work in higher ed, so I'm probably not playing the game very well. I don't, you know, <laughs> uh, I don't make a lot of money um, comparatively to the people in other industries who have, who yeah, have the yeah, same yeah. job title. Um, so, but if you're, I'm just putting myself in a student's shoes. If I'm playing the capitalist game and I'm doing that decision making process, I would agree with the A assessment that the, the debt versus what I'm getting in return ratio especially for certain programs it's just not there anymore and i think higher ed has to rethink what it's doing um overall because i do think it does come down to an issue of liberty and how do we how do we help people self-actualize and achieve the highest level of liberty they can possibly attain you know through education um and the world sometimes complicates that 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 issue right that question yeah so i think we solved the problem uh no no we did not so this will be an ongoing discussion i clearly throughout this podcast we won't do it every week but uh we'll definitely return to this i think we unpacked a lot of good things and um yeah it's always a, a challenging uh these are challenging topics we're trying to deal with and i don't think in try to make sense of but i think at the end of the day you know the Simon Sinek point about why is a good question, I think, and how difficult answering that why question is, given especially when you're dealing with complex organizations and situations in complex environments. I agree. All right, everybody. Uh, tune in next time. <laughs> or not. Or not. Or not. Are you? Are you but, are you awake? Hello, anybody out there? Are you awake? <laughs> um, if you are awake, I would encourage you to uh, click on the subscribe button. If you're watching on YouTube, uh, click on the the uh, bell if you want to get an alert about our next uh, podcast drop. Um, and then also like this so it uh, impacts the algorithm and more people can be <laughs> access our wisdom. Um, if you uh, are on other or lack thereof. Uh, and leave comments, you know, disagree with us. Uh, this is a conversation. We're not, um, we're looking to have a conversation. So engage with that. Uh, we have a Facebook page called the Sense and Signal a Facebook page. You can join that. And also um, we'll be getting on other social media platforms as the time comes, as, the, as, as time moves on and we finish getting this thing developed. But uh, yeah, give us feedback and, uh, and make some comments on this video or uh, the comment section uh, wherever you're listening to this podcast at or on Spotify or Apple or whatever. <laughs>